You're listening to a podcast from Heart. Welcome to this Heart podcast. Uh, I'm Dr. Christopher Burrell from the Southwest Cardiothoracic Centre in Plymouth. And I'm speaking today to Professor Sanjay Sharma, uh, who is from the CRI Inherited Cardiac Diseases and Sports Cardiology Unit at St. George's Hospital. And the topic that we're going to discuss uh, is sudden cardiac uh, death uh, in sports. Uh, Professor Sharma, um, we've all heard a lot recently of high-profile cases uh, like Fabrice Moamba of sudden cardiac death or near-sudden cardiac death in sport. Uh, And I was wondering, really, how common is this problem amongst athletes? Well, I'm pleased to report that sudden cardiac death in athletes is quite rare. Uh, The literature suggests that the incidence is 1 in 50,000, and this data is derived from a very large series in Italy where they've been screening athletes and following up deaths based on a systematic registry where they come up with a figure of about 1 in 50,000. There is data from Denmark looking at death certificates in people aged between 12 and 35, which comes up with a figure of between 2.2 per 100,000. The Israeli study looking at deaths before and after pre-participation screening also come up with a figure of around 2.3 per 100,000. So I think it would be safe to say that the incidence of sudden cardiac death is around 1 in 50,000. Okay, and what are the conditions that, that cause sudden cardiac death? The vast majority of conditions that are implicated in sudden cardiac death are those that are congenital or structural abnormalities affecting either heart muscle, notably the cardiomyopathies, the coronary vasculature, anomalous coronary arteries, or the aorta, aortic root dilatation in Marfan syndrome, electrical faults such as the accessory pathways, notably Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome, and the ion channelopathies such as long QT syndrome, catecholaminergic polymorphic ventricular tachycardia, and the Brugada syndrome. Apart from the hereditary conditions, of course, there are some acquired causes such as myocarditis, commotio cordis, and the possibility of uh, performance-enhancing drugs. All right, well, perhaps we could talk about some of those conditions in a little bit more detail. I don't know where, where you would like to start, but maybe with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy? Well, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is the commonest cause of sudden death in the United States and certainly our own experience in the United Kingdom. The prevalence of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy in the general population is uh, 1 in 500. This prevalence is considerably lower in uh, athletes. It's around 1 in 3,000, but that's not surprising because the pathophysiology of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy would not allow augmentation of stroke volume and high performances. Uh, or The sort of athletes that usually die from hypertrophic cardiomyopathy are those that participate in very short bursts of explosive exercise where skill is extremely important, such as football, baseball, and basketball. We very rarely see sudden deaths in high-level endurance sportsmen, such as Tour de France cyclists, triathletes, good marathon runners. The condition is hereditary. It is a very heterogeneous disorder, so whereas the vast majority cannot excel at this very high level, there are a small number that can do extreme amounts of exercise without any problems whatsoever. 
We quite often see some electrocardiographic and echocardiographic changes in athletes, described as athletes' heart. And uh, I wondered if you could tell us some of the features that we should be using to distinguish those uh, from patients with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Well, participation in regular exercise does cause electrical, structural and functional changes that permit augmentation of a large stroke volume for prolonged periods. The magnitude with which these objective markers manifest on the ECG or echocardiogram vary with the athlete's demographics. For example, it's usually the adult male participating in endurance sport or the black athlete that exhibits the most profound electrocardiographic and echocardiographic changes. In many situations, these electrocardiographic changes, specifically repolarization changes, including ST segment elevation or T wave inversion, and the echocardiographic changes, notably a left ventricular wall thickness of more than 12 millimeters, overlaps with the morphologically mild hypertrophic cardiomyopathy phenotype. In this rare situation, the differentiation between physiology and pathology can be extremely challenging, but a correct diagnosis is crucial because errors have very serious consequences. For example, an erroneous diagnosis of athlete's heart in someone with cardiomyopathy could jeopardize a young life. Conversely, an erroneous diagnosis of cardiomyopathy in an athlete would cost that individual physically, psychologically, and financially. So specifically, what are the features that you really worry about on uh, on a young athlete's ECG or echo? The presence of isolated Sokol of Leon voltage criterion for left ventricular hypertrophy is common in an athlete, but if there is coexistent ST-segment depression, T-wave inversion, extreme leftward axis, pathological Q waves or complete bundle branch block, then I would be concerned about the possibility of an underlying cardiomyopathic process. In terms of the echocardiogram, a left ventricular wall thickness of between 12 and 16 millimeters is acceptable, but irrespective of someone's race, a wall thickness of more than 16 should always raise suspicion of pathology in a male a wall thickness of more than 13 millimeters should always raise suspicion in a black female. A wall thickness of more than 11 millimeters should always raise suspicion in a white female. In individuals with wall thickness measurements over 12, but not above the predicted values that I've just mentioned, we look for coexistent enlargement in left ventricular cavity size, which is common in athletes, whereas individuals with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy have a small left ventricular cavity. We also look at indices of systolic and diastolic function. Athletes have excellent longitudinal function, whereas people with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy have impaired longitudinal function, even though their fractional shortenings are very good. Athletes have enhanced indices of diastolic function, whereas abnormal diastolic function is present in almost 100% of individuals with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Of course, despite these tests, there are still doubts remaining, and in these individuals, I would recommend cardioprimary exercise stress testing, a 24-hour ECG, and cardiac magnetic resonance scan imaging just to resolve any diagnostic dilemma. 
Okay, well, that's very helpful. What about the right ventricle? Uh, and uh, in particular, you know, arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy. Um, is there any overlap between that and uh, athlete's heart? And, and uh, what sort of proportion of patients with sudden cardiac death do you find those kind of abnormalities? Well, arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy is the commonest cause of sudden cardiac death amongst Italian athletes. The British experience suggests that it uh, accounts for 14% of deaths in our athletes, so our numbers aren't quite the same as in Italy. But there is certainly an overlap between physiological athlete's heart and arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy. The things that are common to both these conditions are the presence of T-wave inversions in V1 and V2, a dilated right ventricle, and the presence of ventricular extrasystoles arising from the right ventricle, i.e. conducting with left bundle branch block morphology. My advice really is not to worry about an enlarged right ventricle on its own because 57% of our athletes have a right ventricular internal diameter that exceeds upper limits and 40% have a right ventricular outflow tract diameter that exceeds upper limits. What I would be concerned about is coexistent impairment of systolic or diastolic function or regional wall motion abnormalities which are specific to arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy rather than the athlete. The issue is much more complicated in athletes that are participating in Ironman and triathlete because recent data has shown that the right ventricle appears exhausted after such an event. There is evidence certainly of transient right ventricular systolic dysfunction after such grueling events. What is not clear is the long-term significance of this type of insult on the right ventricle. It's possible that in a small number of people, recurrent insults such as this may result in an acquired form of arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy, but we need much more longitudinal follow-up data before we can come to any conclusions in that regard. Thank you very much for that. Can you go on and tell us something about uh, long QT syndrome and perhaps Brugada and, and those electrical conditions that might give rise to malignant ventricular dysrhythmias? Well, if we look at our data on sudden death in the United Kingdom, 20% have a structurally normal heart, and by definition, these are known as SADS deaths, sudden arrhythmic death syndrome. The vast majority of sudden arrhythmic death syndrome deaths are due to hereditary ion channel disorders such as the long QT syndrome, the Brugada syndrome, and maybe even catecholaminergic polymorphic ventricular tachycardia. Congenital long QT syndrome particularly seems to cause deaths in young adolescent or adult female swimmers. These deaths can occur in very good swimmers and usually occur at the time that the swimmer dives into cold water. We suspect it's the adrenergic surge associated with such a dive that may take its toll on an individual with uh, an ion channel abnormality. Interestingly, Brugada deaths usually occur at rest. They usually occur in someone who's sleeping or is just resting. So one would not be so concerned normally with Brugada syndrome and athlete's heart, or athletic training, shall I say. But athletic training per se promotes very slow heart rate. So there is certainly this concern that if you exercise a lot and you've got the Brugada gene, 
that by exercising a lot, by having massive vagotonia, the bradycardia itself may predispose to sudden cardiac death. We also know from case reports that hyperpyrexia, by that I mean temperatures of over 40 degrees C, may predispose to polymorphic ventricular tachycardia and VF in Brugada syndrome. And we know that marathoners and Ironman athletes often finish races with core temperatures of 41 or 42 degrees C, raising concerns that in someone who's predisposed, such type of exercise may actually cause sudden death. So I would be concerned, even in Brugada patients, in terms of sudden death, even though most sudden deaths occur during sleep, because exercise causes slow heart rates and predisposes to very high temperatures. Thank you. If we could move on to uh, talking about cardiac screening, uh, there's some debate about the uh, extent and cost effectiveness of screening. Where, where do you stand in that debate? What do you think we should be doing about uh, cardiac screening of athletes? I mean, there are many antagonists to screening. The arguments really are that deaths are rare and you'd have to screen thousands of people to pick up one individual that may die. Uh, and this really does question the cost effectiveness of screening. Where I'm coming from is that we are dealing with individuals that are exercising, that are putting a lot of strain on their hearts. And if we ever go to scientific meetings, there is a lot of emphasis on the nutrition of the athlete, the sleep pattern of the athlete, the muscle recovery of the athlete. So there's so much money plowed into these factors that improve athletic performance and enable the achievement of uh, goals that we could just never imagine 10 years ago. If we're willing to do that, why should we not be protecting the heart? Because that's the organ that's been challenged the most during exercise. So I do fully believe that in the United Kingdom, there should be an opportunity for a young individual that exercises regularly to obtain information or some form of reassuring test that allows them to practice safe sport. I'm not saying for a moment that the government should be spending lots of money into, on this, but I do believe there should be a, an arrow signaling a young individual in a particular direction where they could fund their own screening at a very low cost. There are many charitable organizations that are doing this, and I don't think we should be dissuading anyone from this type of practice. And specifically, what kind of screening would you advocate then? I would advocate screening with a health questionnaire that uh, relates to symptoms of cardiac disease and the familial nature. So a, a, a question that inquires about symptoms and family history of premature cardiovascular disease or sudden cardiac death. And an ECG. I think this is the Italian model. The Italian model has shown that they have reduced their death rates in sport from 3.6 per 100,000 down to 0.4 per 100,000 over a 22-year period, and that represents a 90% reduction in sudden death with a relatively simple and efficacious model. So if I was going to implement a national screening model, that's the model I would uh, implement. Okay. Finally, uh, Professor Sharma, if I could just uh, bring you back to what we do when somebody does drop down the pitch. We saw recently very successful uh, resuscitation uh, in the Fabrice uh, Mwamba case. What's your position on resuscitation and the provision of those facilities? What are the most important uh, features, do you think? We're dealing with a situation where an athlete is pushing themselves. We do not have a national screening program in the United Kingdom. 
And there are many individuals out there, I would say specifically one in 300 that have a cardiac condition that could potentially kill them. So I think it's absolutely prudent that at such athletic stadia, we do have facilities for advanced life support. It's essential to have a defibrillator on site, but more importantly, to have personnel that are able to use it and have very efficient communication systems to make sure that the athlete is removed rapidly from the athletic arena to a heart attack center where there is a 24-7 cardiological service available that I am sure was responsible for for saving Fabrice Mwamba's life. Uh, Professor Sanjay Sharma, thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much.